Hey everyone, this is Jordan. Um, I just wanted to say, since it had been a while since we came back, I pulled a rookie move and I forgot to check the audio input. <laughs> uh, I thought I checked everything thoroughly, but um, uh, this got recorded with the wrong microphone, so the audio might be a little grating to listen to. Um, if it's too much, feel free to skip it. I'm going to try to clean it up as best as I can. Um, I think we got into some good stuff though, and we're going to put it out anyway. Uh, we do have plans to record more episodes as well. So, um, apologize. We, we apologize for our long absence and, um, hopefully we'll see some more stuff soon. Hi, welcome to, to the Fake, Fake Magic Podcast. Podcast. I'm Jordan. I'm Jordan. Yep. Yep. I wanted you to say that this time. <laughs> That's why I said my name. I Have you had very many tri- cigarettes? Have I ever had cigarettes? Yeah, like... Uh, that's one thing I've never done was smoke. Interesting. Yep. Fair enough. Cigarettes, that is. Yeah, yeah. No, I get that. I only ask because there's something about um, nicotine and work. <laughs> it's weird how they go hand in hand. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. I actually want you to explain this to I me. have a really weird relationship with cigarettes. Like out of any addiction I've ever had, I would say nicotine is the one that I can pack up and put away almost instantaneously. Really? Have you picked it up and put it down a few times? I. Uh, no yeah, pun intended, I guess. I, no, a bunch. A yeah. bunch. Yeah. I like I've let packs go stale, and I've also been at two packs a day. Really? Yeah. And they don't. Part of it's because nicotine really rouses me up. Like, I, it, it's a kind of dissociative for me. Really? A little bit. It's, uh, God. If you ever had too much caffeine and you have a hard time, like, it almost feels like the, uh, lens on a camera is out of focus and it's like you're trying to look at a, a picture but your cognition. Oh, kind of yeah. Especially if you hadn't been sleeping well. Yeah, 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 yeah. So nicotine does something similar if you're not, uh, hydrated, um, but it's like you're, uh, almost tingly. So it's really like in your skin. Yeah, or? it's okay. sensory heavy on the touch, and so like everything is just I, I don't know it put the the thing that does different than caffeine for me is that puts me in my body. Caffeine kind of takes me out of my body. Really? Yeah, and so it's it's weird. What about they, jitteriness? Like which one causes more if you oh experience God. it? It's a different. They're they're um, they're kind of different for me. Uh, I will say. Nicotine is a more productive stimulant for work than caffeine is for me. Hmm. Sometimes I will have caffeine, too much caffeine, and I'm I start having existential dread, and I'm like, dude, it's nine o'clock on Tuesday. Yeah. Like, like I can't be I doing got, this. Yeah, that's the stuff I gotta do. <laughs> but like nicotine, I'm just kind of like, you know, like I really, yeah, I love it. I love it. I. I What's the last time you smoked? It's been. Maybe a month. Okay. A month? Yeah. So that hasn't impacted your alcohol sobriety? No, not at all. Not at okay. All. As a matter of fact, you know, most uh, people, it's crazy. Well, not most. That's There's not a number for it or even a generalization. I, there is There are people that I have seen 
and talk to you that I have lots of sober time that are chain smokers, you know? Right. It's like, you know, if that's the thing that you've got, but you're not like drunk, uh, drunk anymore. Yeah. Uh, uh, at least you can function least, yeah, you know, as a human. Yeah. It, well, and the thing is, okay, so this is the other thing that's really weird with nicotine is, uh, anything that isn't combustible smoke <laughs> nicotine doesn't do it the way I want it. Really? So vaping nicotine. I don't like, hmm. yeah. Um, chew dips pouches pouches are all right okay pouches are all right but they're still not they're as, not the they same as combustible hard. cigarettes so mm-hmm. yeah and i think part of it I, I don't know now this is kind of a psychosomatic thought is i love how dirty cigarettes are yeah and they're gross that's like part of the appeal you stink yeah. a little bit that's why okay the reason i bring this up is because i want to smoke at work all the time right you know i'll be like oh i i could go for a smoke like between like um work you know yeah but the problem is i can't stink and do my job really stinking of cigarette smoke i don't know there's just something that's kind of tacky. is it like just for you yes like, this, this is, is like a personal rule this is 100 like okay how i would expect somebody who's doing my job to behave if i i bet you'd be fine no one would well there's tons of people that do yeah i was it's gonna like say a, no one would blame i don't know right right for it, having a smoke right well and, and well i mean you know yeah, no, I know exactly. Well, that's the okay. So this is the thing is like, um, so since the last time we recorded this, I became a bus driver, and uh, yeah, quite a bit's happened. Yeah, I love how I just yeah. <laughs> anyway, so that's what I do now. It's a very um, interesting is a word that does a justice. Uh, rewarding is also. I was thinking about this last night. Like, I could never be a cop, not because I don't want to try to like be on the quote unquote side of justice or try to like be some sort of judge, um, but simply because, to two really black and white reasons. The first one is, I have a really hard time like being like, hey, that's not cool, you know? Like, I have to do something about that. Like, if yeah. someone's doing something, I'm like, all right, whatever, you know? Like, if it's not impacting me and it doesn't seem like it's harming like the, the general consensus, I'm not going to get into, into right. it, you know? I've really like, learned that lesson. Pretty rational. But the second part for me is, uh, like, if people were doing drugs, I, I couldn't, like, be mad at them you know as somebody who's done a lot of my my fair share of drugs it's like i see someone doing drugs and i'm like mm, yeah i i mean i get it like oh yeah life is a highway and uh that it's, it's hard to rod hard and, sometimes yeah so it's like i see yeah. people addicted to drugs i'm like fair enough you know like i mean i get it you know so i could be a cop um, and then uh, I couldn't be a fire. I mean, for the other milieu of reasons that I also don't like the police state. But those are like the two that like, if I had to think about why I couldn't do it, if I was living within the umbrella of like, I want to be uh, do service to the community yeah. you know, and, and be a civil servant. Those are the two things that would like prevent me from even considering that. And then this, the thing with like being a fireman is uh, do Chipper Dean for me, like... <laughs> and I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that all the time. Like it feels pretty raw, raw. I would. Uh, I could never exist in that type of fraternal organization. Fair enough. Um, there's like internal hazing, and I think like stuff gets a little weird. And then. Oh yeah. Well, the trope of like I just and, like, can't having bond with each other and stuff is like. I'm not suggesting that that happens, but like, I'm sure it happens somebody, sometimes. Yeah. If somebody told me that it happened, I would be like, yeah. Oh my god, no way! I'd be like, Oh yeah. I mean. I'm like, you could say that with any vocation where like people spend a lot of time yeah, together like yeah. especially in closed quarters like 
bunk situation. Yeah. Which, uh, by the way, happy Pride Month. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But for real, though. Yeah, yeah. We love everybody on the gender and sexuality spectrum. Yeah. Um, You're all welcome here. I will... Okay, one thing I do want to add to that that I have seen... Okay, this isn't a critique. Um, It is something... And I'm trying to tread this lightly uh, that I've noticed is... uh, Oh, I don't know if I should bring this up. Uh, there's a way to do this politely. Uh, since I first started, like, interfacing and experiencing Pride and, like, seeing Pride festivals and this, that, and the other, um, it's, like, over the last ten years, the thing that has skyrocketed is the amount of people with canes and uh, mobility devices. Hmm. It feels like that that, that there's more people, in the, and I'm not suggesting that none of those people don't need that. I it's just I maybe it's me just becoming more aware of it. I don't. I have not noticed really a mobility device uptick. Oh man! But I I also don't go out as much as you do. Fair enough. So I, I, and I'm not trying to I'm not trying to make any assumptions. This is just an observation. Uh, it has been something that I was like, huh. Um, anyway, that, that was something that I've noticed. Um, I, I, I'm trying to be polite because I, I definitely had some pretty, like, mean thoughts around that, you know? And I'm, I, again, this is like, these are just thoughts that come in and out of my mind. You just want, if they're using it, you just want them to need them. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. But here's the other thing, too. This is, okay, now this is, this is, thank you for saying that because this is what I think when I think that, right? If they don't need them and they have them. That is a problem in and of itself. Oh yeah. So so maybe that's what I'm getting at is uh, yeah. Is there an uptick in oh god? Is there an uh, is there an uptick in Munchausens within the LGBTQ community? I am not an authority. Uh, me either. <laughs> me either. And I'm, I'm I know this is like moderately controversial. I it's something that I'm like curious by. And anyway, anyway, that's something that I've thought about. I I'm not trying to make a joke out of it. It's just something that I observed that's that's that anyway so uh yeah firemen <laughs> hunky dory uh police officers um even way worse yeah but but yeah. then all oh yeah but also they're like sigma males and yeah anyway we, we, the, it, we it, it attracts people with something to prove oh, yeah. with or or they like having authority well this is the thing is like so you now being a bus driver is like i get to be a, a little ornery you know i'm like happy yeah. to be there but like bus driver it's it's a rite of passage like lunch lady and bus driver are two sides yeah. of the same coin they right? get they, they get, to be get to be like grumpy. you want yeah. your bus driver and your lunch lady to have a kid that might be in juvie that makes for a good bus driver, a good lunch lady, right? <laughs> like, I want my lunch lady to have a child that is a hellion. I, that, that's how I know she's going to be a good lunch lady, right? It's like, a, like yeah. you can gauge how good a Chinese restaurant is going to be by using their restroom. If their restroom has exposed pipes and it's kind of gross, great Chinese restroom. <laughs> you know why? Because they don't care about the bathroom. Right. They're putting all their yeah. money into that food, being a home they really are. run. And yeah. I'm telling you, every time I go to a Chinese restaurant and there's exposed pipes in the bathroom, I'm like, yeah. You know it's good. I know it's going to be good. Yeah. yeah. I, same thing with Mexican restaurants. Okay. If I go... Oh, yeah. Restaurant, it, okay. If there are car speakers in the ceiling, yes. you know it's a good... It, 
It's a good. Oh man, my thing, favorite yeah. roll of the dice is going you have to some, restaurant. Like, Rockford Fosgates in the ceiling, yeah. like dangling out, like falling apart. Totally. <laughs> if I go to a restaurant where English is not the primarily spoken language, and I order something, and I'm not sure I'm going to get what I ordered, chances are it's going to be good. Yeah. I love that feeling. I love that. Feeling. You know, interestingly, so I've read this book called The Millionaire Next Door, and it's this book that I think it came out in the 90s, and it was a study of hundreds and hundreds of millionaires. And a lot of times, first-generation immigrants have a higher chance of being a millionaire than people born in the country because they usually come here and they believe in whatever their version of the American dream is. And so they will go forth and open businesses, small businesses, which in that book, it was identified the quickest way to become a millionaire was to open a small business. And immigrants are more likely to do that. Um, which is great because we get a bunch of excellent food out of it. You know, we have like access to such a high variety of foods that you don't see anywhere else. That is outside of kind of North America. Yep. Yeah. Um, also Americanized versions of those foods too, which is super cool. That's like a a uniquely American thing that I think is Mm -hmm. fun. If they can find a way to turn their ethnicity's food into fast food, it's, like, guaranteed to be delicious. Yeah, they call it the pizza effect. So, like, Italians have a palate for American pizza now. Really? Yeah. And so, Ah. like, they... But they call it, like, American pizza. Yeah. So, American pizza has been reintroduced into Italy. So, Italians still do their, like, Mamma Mia's and, like, eat all (laughs) their stuff, right? But then they love American pizza, too. Uh, same thing with Panda Express in China. Pizza. Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. And like... Wow. I didn't know about this. Well, this is the thing about makes food, sense. too, is like people get really weirdly... So this is how why I think food is art, is because people have such uh, entrenched opinions about it, and it can get like emotional. If you like, like if you like a place and somebody's like, that place is no good, all of a sudden you feel this notion to plead your case. Uh, or at least I do at times. If I want to get territorial about this place, and I've seen myself do it, I've seen other people do it, and at the end of the day, it's like, dude, it's just kind of like a restaurant. Like, you, do, do you own it or what? You know what I mean? So the prime example I can think of is I got some buddies that they, my hometown, 10,000 people, right? It has running water and a couple of chain restaurants, right? They go bananas for five guys, dude. Like these two go, and it, here's the yeah. thing, it's great. I'm not putting them down. Sorry, who was it again? I said my friend. Oh, my right, friend right, right, early. Okay. Um, I do love Five Guys. I do too. Okay. No, I mean, I'm not going to just my pants over it. Well, but they're okay. like pretty good. So here's the thing: is like every time that we would go to the city nearby to have uh, to, to to hang out or whatever, you know, we would go there. And uh, the reason I bring this up is just because like. Uh, I didn't really care. It's not that I didn't like it. It was just like that was where we went all the time. So I would be like, started to get like opinions about like that place, and all of a sudden I was like pretending I didn't like it so that we could go somewhere else. And I, anyway, <laughs> the the case that I was making is that like food is art in that regard because it's something so quick to critique. Right. And I suppose that the point that I'm trying to make with this story is like. Uh, the more open-minded you are on your food palate, like not just like healthy, but like taste and experience and ambiance and things like that, 
really changes the whole world. Like, so I noticed, so I grew up very picky mm-hmm. and like I got ketchup only on like my hamburgers and I know people um, like that. I didn't even, I don't think I even tasted Mexican food till I was like 12 or something. And, um, what helped was, um, kind of break out of that was, uh, I was like, okay, everything is edible that I'm eating here. Like I, I can put it in my stomach, it'll digest and I probably won't get sick um, unless, you know, it's cooked poorly. So that combined with like some peer pressure from friends who like, you know, cause it was like really trendy in high school for like a bunch of kids to, you know, like get sushi all the time and stuff. So I sort of went out of not wanting to be like rejected a little bit. And I was like, you know what? Like I can try it. It's not going to kill me. Like if I don't like it, it's okay. Like I can, and that opened the door to me trying almost everything. It was cool. It, it was hard to break out of. Sure. Yeah. I catch myself sometimes still getting into that, kind of into that funk. Um, I remember one time I had Sri Lankan food and I actually ended up not liking it at all. But yeah. Like when it was presented to me, I was like, oh man, this is terrible. <laughs> um, but the, that's the thing is like, I suppose that that risk reward is part of what makes it fun. It's almost like a yeah. gambler. Almost like a slot that. machine. Yeah. More often than not, mm-hmm. it's good. And I would actually... The odds are highly in your favor that you'll like it if you would give it a shot. It, yeah, otherwise, first of all, the place wouldn't be a business. And second of all, here's the other thing. The bad restaurant experiences make the good restaurant experiences that much better. Yeah. Yep. It's just like how when you buy a car from somebody who kind of swindles you and you don't realize it until you're about like 40 months into the payments <laughs> and you don't like the car and now it's like kind of an emotional beast of burden and you've yeah. refinanced it once. It's like a daily and reminder. You refinanced it yeah. once, which added another like 18 months to the loan, but you had a lower interest rate. You know, they sweet talk to you and you just feel like you're like bogged yeah. down in this thing, right? But then you go take it to this other dealership and they go, oh, that, okay, well, let's get you out of that car. Let's get you in a new car, okay? They kind of swindle you too, right? But they make That's you feel really good industry. about it. Yeah, they make you feel really good about it. You know, and you might actually have a little bit more money to go like buy what your toys or whatever, you know? But because of that experience, that bad experience made their good experience better. You know what I mean? Like when yeah. I sold cars, nothing got me like better sales than somebody who would come in with a car that they hated. Because we could bully that thing and basically use it as like a litmus test on every other car. Yeah. So, so you, it would be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're bouncing what they hate about that and you know the features you need to find for the customer. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and the other thing too, and you can really like show off a vulnerable side of who you are uh, as a salesman by like, let's say they bring in like a mid-sized SUV. They go, I hate this car. It doesn't have this, this, and this. And you go, okay. I see that it doesn't have these things. Well, let me show you, or let me tell you, first off, what cars in the lot you don't want then. And you just bully your cars. Right. You don't want this one. You don't want this one. You don't want this one. Okay? Those are gone. This is a game of guess who. Those guys don't have mustaches. Okay? The guy we're looking for does. Okay? Now, you go to this car and you go, okay, this has the things that you like in your car plus the things that you want. And then all of a sudden, they trust you because you were like, 
these aren't going to work for you. All of them are mine, but I want to make sure I get you into this thing. Now you've got that. I mean, this is getting into like the science of sales, but like uh, that level of rapport that you established there. Oh man. And that, okay. So yeah, that's a way to gain trust. Mm -hmm. That's also yeah. a way. Okay. So this is the other thing too, is like a, my, my only opinion. Stuff like that is thing. heavily used in manipulation psychology. Absolutely. This is the other thing too, is uh, yeah, uh, narcissists tend to uh, use this, use that kind of character trait to employ, they're almost like parasitic. So the question you have to ask yourself is whether or not you're willing to be compassionate with those kind, compassionate with those kinds of people, you know, um, because it, when you get people in a vulnerable emotional spot, because cars are very, very sensitive. Yeah, um, for a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, they're basically the contemporary car, or the contemporary home for a lot of people. Yeah, know? they spend more time commuting than being well, okay. So there's that part, but then there's, okay, so, like, if you own a $50,000 car, you need to make over six figures. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, you but, should. Yeah, because, yeah. because, okay, so first off, the tires on those cars are going to cost $2,000 to replace. You probably can't do that on, on a $50,000 car because you're making $800 car payments. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So you're putting yourself in a bad spot. But this is the thing is banks approve those loans for people. People will make $50,000 a year, buy a $50,000 car. Banks approve that all day long if you have a good FICO score and you've been working at that place for a long time. Mm -hmm. And by a long time, I mean 8 to 12 months. Unfortunately, I mean, it's just it's kind of like a gross world we live in right now. Like everything kind of gets approved OAC for things that people can't actually have, right? But this is the point is that now becomes their house because they're kind of stuck in it. You know, they might like it, but it has a crack in the foundation. They can't uh, sell it. No. Because oh, they'd be underwater. Underwater, yeah. But, yeah. Then, but then, yeah. So it's like a, this whole situation. Yeah. I would say maybe now is the most exception to the rule just with used cars prices even like three four they're years so old weird. almost they're as so much as brand new weird. right now they're which is so we've weird. like never seen that in decades i i think buying a brand new car is one of the most dangerous things you can do except less <laughs> okay here's the thing if you're the, the problem is, is if you're buying it financed now, now this is my opinion i'm not a financial expert you know, i'm definitely not a financial expert but if you're buying a brand new car, OAC, if you're financing a new car, you're really rolling the dice. Because first of all, you're paying the bank something, unless you can get those 60-month 0% APR, but even then, even then, you're rolling the dice that this car is going to be worth how much I'm paying for it long mm -hmm. term, which it might not be. Especially with new models rolling out that have been untested. You know, because the almost first generation of revisions are almost always lemons or have some, or have some aspects there's, wrong there's with them. always something going on. Nowadays, there's always a recall. The best thing you can't yeah. like avoid oh, that. It's like airbags, electronics, this, that, and the other. But the thing is, like, you can um, very easily get a three to, in my opinion, six-year-old car and pound for pound get more. Probably. Um, and it depends on where you live, too. I know, like, I was looking at, you know, like, four- to six-year-old, like, RAV4s. Mm -hmm. They're within two to $5,000 of a brand-new RAV4. Okay, and see, the, you're right. This yeah. is where this gets weird. Um, also, it depends on the vehicle. Toyotas hold their value in a weird way. Like, 
a car that they've established they've established their reputation as long lasting yes so they're going to be worth more and they also have really made their themselves like cutesy um yeah. t- it turns out this is now um the tim the tool man <clears throat> al borland car talk podcast um well toyota tacomas are, are, are a prime example of this like they're the highest resale car on the market mm-hmm. like if you buy a tacoma you have somebody who wants to buy it from you the second you drive it off the lot. Yeah. There's just people go bananas for Tacomas, dude. I don't blame them. People go bananas for Tacomas. I do think they're going to hit their peak soon because of this popularity, and I do believe other car companies are going to take the slot of the cheap, reliable car. Well, the gas which, prices stay the same way that they are. We're going to go through that. Because you remember Cash for Clunkers? Mm. This is an Obama-era initiative where if you had a car that was fuel-inefficient, meaning it could not pass federal emissions, you could take it to, you could get a federal grant, and they paid way more for your car than they ought to, for it to be crushed. They would like, they talked about being environmentally friendly. There's no such thing as environmentally friendly if you're taking a car apart. like building more things is not environmentally efficient in any capacity. This is all red herring stuff. Yeah. It's just like recycling. Recycling is a complete sham. We're right on the corner of accepting well, that. Well, it's the notion of there's no such thing as ethical consumption and it, that is capitalism. Exactly. No matter what, we can try and you should, but it's there's only so much you can. Do. It is. Yeah. Recyc- recycling is performance. And here's the thing, if you want to do that and it makes you feel better in your heart, like you're like, I'm making a difference, I'm recycling, that's fine. But if you really, really want to drive the point home, just dial down your consumption by 20%. Mm-hmm. For every five things you want to consume, let one of them go. Yeah. Let one of them go and make a lifestyle change. It, this is, sorry, this is got you're me thinking about something that's driving me nuts. Same with like a no buy groups on Facebook, you know, that's like sort of, yeah. that's sort of like uh, open source socialism in a way, just yeah. giving your shit away to someone who wants them. Totally. So um, stuff like that is probably more helpful than recycling. So yeah. And it's just like the most environmentally efficient home. The most environmentally efficient home is one that is already built. Right. One that is already built. It's like that, that acoustic guitar player, Jack Johnson. He built this house in Hawaii. It was like the ultimate form of like imperial um, zen that we had in like the early 2000s. He was like building it with like sustainable resource wood and like blah, 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 solar panels. Again, another red herring. We need to go nuclear with our energy. I, yeah. I see this every like it's a privilege. We need to go nuclear with our energy. Solar energy is not sustainable. Just having access to those materials is a privilege. Exactly. It's like so he builds this same with like vegetarianism and veganism. Yeah, vegetarianism, especially veganism, is a privilege. Veganism does not exist without the industrial revolution. Right. Yeah. Veganism is a byproduct of a post-resource scarcity society. Mm-hmm. You can't go. You cannot go to. Delhi in India right now and encourage them to live a vegan lifestyle simply because there are not enough calories and there's not enough protein for them to sustainably yeah. live what a without an animal product. Yeah, and so it's literally, again, veganism is... It's a privilege. It, it is a byproduct of imperialism. Yeah. That's a sensitive conversation to have. And there's people that have tried to tell me before it's that just there the were truth. vegan societies 
before uh, the before Western culture? No, there was not. Borderline so far impossible. as I know, there was not. There's been vegetarian societies, yeah. and that is a whole other conversation because they still used animal products. Yeah. But veganism is a byproduct of imperialism. Um, which is fine. Which is fine too. Yeah. I'm not anti-vegan. Yeah, I'm me neither. Saying, like, this yeah. is a conversation we have to like really it, talk about. It's just one of those we should acknowledge it, mm-hmm. and there's nothing wrong with, you know, like it. Ideally, I you know I wish everyone on the planet who would want to do, do that could have access to the products and services they need to be fully vegan. Well, and I think. But you know, it, take, it takes an industrial revolution to get there, regardless of how problematic that is. Right. Well, and I think in our lifetime we're going to see a such a change in the uh, diet of the of Western culture. Oh um, yeah. Just, the fad is going to shift due to climate. Oh, pardon me. Just to close up the thought on the Jack Johnson bit, he built this super quote-unquote sustainable house and everyone was patting him on the back. Bill Gates did a similar thing in Seattle, right? But these aren't environmentally friendly homes. They're travesties. They're giant eyesores, abhor eyesores that are like in mockery of God or like a higher power of life. It's like, dude, do you really want to let them know that you're like, here's the thing, if you want your shtick to be that you're like environmentally conscious, you should keep it real simple and live a very conservation-minded lifestyle, right? And One person that, that Jesse Ventura is yeah. a good example of that because he literally just moved to middle of the nowhere Mexico with no modern communication, like phone lines, internet, anything, and just hired a bunch of Mexicans to build his house. And he li- he just lives off grid. Jesse Ventura is an interesting. Man. And he just wanted to get away, I think, from just the madness seen, of. Have you seen the C-SPAN video of him on C-SPAN saying the CIA killed JFK? He's like saying this in front of like two senators. That's great. Yeah. No, Jesse Ventura is one of those guys who, because he's like, one of my. Favorite you're not going to get assassinated leaders. by the federal government or, or the CIA. What? You're not going to get assassinated by like wolves <laughs> unless you start talking about the money. Right. That's the thing that gets you killed, you know. Um, and he had the, he was willing to uh, push on the artery of the thing. Because you could say the CIA killed JFK and they go, ha, you know, you know. I think there's a threshold. Yeah, but if you start going like... I don't know what their criteria is. The, the Rothschild family has made sure that the American imperial system has stayed on the U.S. dollar and we shifted the whole entire... Uh, global GDP off of this, the gold standard to uh, you know this that you know, that'll get you killed. Um, okay, so Jack Johnson sustainability. There was a climate crisis convention. Oh, this I, scientists sometimes can really ought to kiss my fat Irish ass, <laughs> and this is why. So there was a global climate crisis convention. It was within the last six months. I read about it on the Collapse subreddit, and they're basically trying to Paul Revere climate. Right. The, as they do every like five to ten yeah. years. Al Gore did this, you know, Barack Obama did it, and here we are again. Yeah. I was it, told, I've been told be every decade for the last three decades that we're going to run out of oil within a decade. And, and for the record, and it's never happened. For the record, I do think, uh, and I think we agree on this, that climate yeah. change is occurring. Oh, it's real. Basically, the Just not as quickly. And and it's become politicized. Now, yeah. this is the reason that I bring this up is so, 
Climate crisis convention. All these. And I'm not pro oil, by the way. We're just, I am not even. It's just a lie that we're going to run out anytime soon. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> climate crisis convention. They all meet. These scientists all meet up to be Paul Revere and say that the climate is going to be to, to kill all of us. Right. They all showed up to the convention in cars. It, I'm like, dude, you need to pick a hill and die on it. Yeah. You need to pick a hill and die on it. Because like, it's not like it's any better to show up in a Tesla. Yeah, it's like, get, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like if, if, if climate is the thing that you're super concerned about and you want to like change the world, you, you start biking. Start, start changing your life. Yeah, you have you know, to conform, like, lead by example. Yep. Bike, walk yep. where you can. And I mean, let's if go you after can, the corporations if too. you can, let's go after the corporations too. And the thing is, is, I'm not trying to like bully the proletariat about this either, because I think that that's another thing yeah. that slacktivists love to do is be like, oh, you know, like you're not eating sustainable, you're not eating local, blah 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 blah. It's like I can barely live. Yeah, people. You know, it's like like I've experienced so that. Like I need, I had chronic fatigue that was induced by long haul COVID. I had to order things to live. It, I lost like. You know, I, I was super skinny for a little while, you know, like the interclass. I had to order stuff like I don't love like I know that Amazon's like a Rube Goldberg machine of human suffering, but I couldn't That's have lived. Sweat, unfortunately, yeah, I couldn't have lived without it for a little while. You know, I needed stuff delivered. Yeah, well, this is the thing with Amazon Prime that, like, really blows my mind. Having the distribution center here, you know, and it's how you, how you get things delivered the same day. Yeah. I just, every time I order something, same day delivery, and I, I look, I'm not an ethical consumer. I, like, my carbon footprint is, actually, my carbon footprint is pretty decent. Yours is better than, I would say, the majority of the people no. that live in the Valley. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with, with that. With your pl- public commuting. Yep. Yeah. Um, okay, so every time I order something same day on Amazon, I, I think, how many heads did I step on to get Yes. This? And there's little things, too, because like you can delay the order. It's like, order this much, and you get like tomorrow morning at like mm-hmm. 3 a.m. delivery. And you can select to do it later mm-hmm. or like give it an all day window. So there are little things that you can do to maybe ease the burden a little right. bit. So I tried to do it. Like, you know, I ordered like what ant traps for my house. Sure. <laughs> I don't need that like 7 a.m. tomorrow. Right. Like I can I can wait until the afternoon when I'm off work. You know, it's <laughs> such an interesting thing too because I think it's like like you know those science experiments where they give the rats the two things to decide from and it's like one's water and one's drugs and they inevitably just choose drugs and they die pressing the button to get more drugs yeah i i do think consumer capitalism uh the drug is convenience and it does induce dopamine hits yes and so we correlate like that quick dopamine high and maybe this is like i mean not to be corny but this is like the nicotine of consumerism you know kind of yeah that, like it's like instant gratification. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, I need these new. I need that new lampshade. Like now. Oh man, I need those new battles. Yeah. Now, you know, and it's like, and and yeah. And then they got you with some flash sale for something that you may or may not. Use. Or something that was in your cart. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> but there's like no winning in that regard, right? And it's like, I mean, one of the things for me is I would like to go the rest of my adult life buying clothes besides uh, undergarments. Secondhand, exclusively. 
Um, it's like shoes and undergarments are the only things that I will buy new. I will say, uh, you know, there was a cultural shift within, I would say, the last 12 years or so where it became cool to buy shit from thrift stores. Yeah. You know, with, you know, thank, thanks, Macklemore, for helping accelerate Yeah, that. no kidding. Um, no kidding. So I, that's a positive. You know, it was probably going to happen eventually. We're going to have such an excess in circulation that I don't even know if like current companies can compete with their old products, you know, like 20 year old Levi's. It'd be really cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, quality of material goods. Now, I don't have any evidence to suggest this. This is my feelings. Material goods right now don't, I don't believe in them as much as I did 20 years ago. Oh, it's a, uh, well, they call that, dang. I believe it's along the lines of shrinkflation, where like companies will, they'll sell you a Powerade, but it has two less ounces in it, yep. but it'll be the same price. The same thing happens with quality of products. It's almost an inevitability because they're trying to cut costs wherever they can as much as they can. And a byproduct of that is going to be really ch cheaper stuff that falls apart quicker. Like one uh, Carhartt, <laughs> I think one of, um, Something that I'm not looking forward to is when Carhartt got like popular with young people instead of the just like working class white men, they have to up their production and as another consequence is probably cut quality as well. Right. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I definitely have this thought that when something becomes too commercial, it's goal it, or when something becomes too bottom dollary, yeah, then it's now just it's kind of a paradox. caricature of itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is why we have like, to be so careful with money. It's Jeep like, Jeep survives on its name alone. Oh, that's that, it. Oh, Jeep yeah. is a fantastic yeah. example. Yeah. Jeeps are terrible, terrible, terrible vehicles. How long did you I sell cars for? I worked on them. Um, I sold cars for like eight months, but I worked on them for over a year. Yeah. So you have some experience. I first so Fiat's are yeah. also new Fiat's are made in, um, oh, I think they're made in Italy still, at least most of the manu parts manufacturing, um, whether or not they're domestically manufactured, I don't know, but Jeep and Jeep Chrysler and, uh, Fiat are all manufactured at the same place now. Mm. Fiat it was bought by uh, Dodge Chrysler. You know, mm. the brand. And the reason I bring this up is new Fiats. If you look at the like, Consumer Reports, new Fiats are so bad. Everyone, they're like, don't touch these with a ten foot pole. But they kind of get the pass on the Jeep. It's almost like this inadvertent, like um, domestic, like um, prowess thing. Yeah. But this is what really gets me. Those new Jeep Renegades. I feel like I might have talked about this before, but I just, I love saying this. Because every time I see one, they're super cute. I understand who they're appealing to. They appeal to the same person that wants a Subaru Crosstrek, you know? Mm -hmm. It's cute. It's sporty. It's kind of like go out into but the mountain. There's an idea and a feeling associated with it. It's, yeah. It's, Re Jeep Renegade. it's like adventure, like... The new Jeep Patriot, the, <sighs> the new Jeep truck is for somebody who wants to put yeah. a... Blue Lives Matter Punisher on the back of it. That's who it's marketed for, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. The Jeep Renegade 
is marketed for somebody who wants to put a the mountains are go calling and I must go decal. That's like it's like a sporty gal who kind of wants to be a tomboy. You like that's not yeah. what you call it anymore, right? But anyway, the reason I bring this up is because brand new Jeep Renegades burn oil. Brand new, brand new. I've had people bring in Jeep Renegades to the shop I worked at, and I was dropping the oil, the oil in their brand new Renegade, and oil was missing right like they're already a court low or something it's burning yeah yeah they're just they're made poorly they're horrible cars which is funny because my boss has a jeep patriot those are the trucks right yeah um he has like a diesel version and he's like cars don't burn oil and I was like, are you kidding me? Like when, almost every time I go to get my oil change in my Hyundai Accent, I'm like low a little bit yeah. from, from it burning oil. Yeah. Um, and then he's also like, oh, if, if you don't, if you haven't driven it 5,000 miles, the oil never needs to be changed. And I'm like, really? Even after three years, you know, or five years? <laughs> People get really weird. <laughs> Just to keep on, on the clock. Sorry, that was a no, I, no, slight it's interesting. tangent. It, it was just... Because the, I, I suppose this is a PSA. The biggest difference between conventional oil... There's a lot of car myths. The, big, the biggest difference between conventional oil, full synthetic, or a synthetic hybrid, I'm going to just tell you right here, okay, it is the viscosity of the fluid itself. Now, when they talk about the weight of the oil... The weight of the oil is a measurement of the viscosity. Right. It's not a weight so in a pounds. 1040, a 1040 weight oil is going to be heavier than a 020 weight. A 020, think of it like a mechanical pencil lead. Okay? Yeah. 420 is 0.9 thick, right? 1040 goes into your trucks. Like any diesel is going to take a 1040 at least, you know, um, Buses, diesel engines are going to take a 1040. Okay. Toyota Corolla, 2022, 2023 Toyota Corollas are going to take a 020. 020 is always a full synthetic oil. Okay. Now, the reason I'm saying this is because synthetic oils are, their claim to fame is that they don't break down or they break down much slower. So you can change it every 6,000 miles. Okay. And that, again, cute concept can work. Like from a mechanical or from an engineering standpoint, this is all succinct, right? But it's marginal. Right. But the other problem is, like, the, this is forecasted with regular road use, which is so variable depending on how hard you drive your car. Like, truly, you should just be checking your oil every four months. Um, you're, you should just be checking it for two things. First of all, are you full? If you're not, don't top it off. Don't Topping off your oil is just ridiculous. It's like having a flat soda... And pouring some soda water in it to recarbonate it. You see what I'm <laughs> yeah. saying? Like the soda's flat, brother. Like it's just it's just the way it is. Pour it out and get yourself a new one. Okay. Um, the second thing you need to be checking is uh, what is the color. Okay. Oil should go black. Oil should go black. If it doesn't go black, you got something wrong. Because mm. that's the whole point. The oil is lubricating the engine, so that the controlled explosion has a the the friction yeah. that is forecasted for, not additional friction outside of the controlled explosion. Yeah. 
And so, um, anyway, the reason I bring this up is because people will put full synthetic oil. Don't put full synthetic oil in your old car. It's not good for the car. It's not good for the car. Like, if you got a nine, if you got anything from, like, 2007, unless the manufacturer says, put full synthetic oil in this, keep whatever oil is in there. Same weight, same brand, everything. Just don't mess with it. That's how you help that car and just change it more frequently. Yeah. Anyway, that's just my little tip there. That's just my little tip. If you got a real old car that you're trying to get, like, the most out of, go with the, uh cheapest conventional oil that there is and this is why first of all don't need to spend the money second of all the cheapest conventional oils are almost like sludgy they're like so thick and sticky almost and that is so good for the old engine because old engines are leaky drippy and they love they're kind of like a grill you know like yeah. they cook stuff on the top that thick sticky oil kind of gets everywhere yeah, can could get into crevices like and like adhesive. yeah, yeah. As long as you don't cracks. play around with it, and you just keep putting in old, old conventional like Quaker Stained or even like the, the chunky Pins oil stuff, then you're gonna get more life out of your. Uh, Interesting. Yep, yep. Anyway, that's that's my TED talk. If if your car says take full synthetic, put full synthetic in it. But full synthetic is kind of a red herring to make you think that it's good for your car. Yeah, it's kind of an upsell gimmicky. Yep thing yeah i always thought that but i hadn't had anyone who worked on cars tell me that it's, uh, uh, <clears throat> so i did want to ask what was like what's been your like either spiritual or like meditation routine or like uh what, what's been keeping you going what's been like keeping you sober what's been keeping you going to work Ooh. um just we haven't really talked about this in quite a while that's an interesting question um, I'm interested to hear what, what you've been doing. That is an interesting question. I know you've taken on the concept of the higher power. Yeah. Pretty heavily, and I think it's helped you quite a bit. I have definitely gotten pretty traditional Catholic in practice, okay. in principle, just the way I was raised. How so? Um, some Hail Marys in the morning, some Our Fathers at night, yeah. some conscious uh, contemplation. Um, I've been going to Mass. That's not really my thing. Yeah. Um, I'm, so I'm, you're, I don't you're utilizing some, like, daily private practices of Catholicism? I'm utilizing some childhood spiritual nostalgia. Yeah, I think so it can be powerful. Something that, yeah. I've been doing similar. I'll get into it once okay, cool. you explain. I, I was curious. Yeah. Um, yeah, so basically, I I don't even know when it started. I want to say it was like around December, January. I was just like, uh, I felt almost like I was burning the candle at both ends spiritually. And I was like almost trying to do too much, mm. which is like... You I, can. Yeah, you you I, can go overboard with like praying ritual, you know, and getting so well, in the weeds and, that you're anxious and, about it. And yeah, they could it's like OCD. That's, that's exactly right. It, it goes from helping to hurting. Yep. It, it, yeah. And it flares up like a part of me. And that has happened to me before. Just get rough, you know. And so anyway, I took like kind of like an agnostic break from anything spiritual. And that included meditation. Mm. I was just kind of like, I just, I, I kind of want to live a square life right now where I kind of work and I watch my TV shows. I think that's I, kind of a grounding practice. Yeah. Like yes. You, you wanted to be kind of rerooted in reality a little bit. Just yeah. be like, you know. It's like if you're tasting cheese. Dial it back a little with as far as like 
eclectic spiritual practices. Yep. If you're tasting cheeses and you need to just grab a thing of coffee grounds to smell to just get the whole palate like yeah un- unfamiliarized with cheese, so you can do it again. That's been my last six months. Really? Yeah. Well, and the, uh, the last thing I'll say to this is just like um, I one of the things that has happened to me recently is I have acquired more capital. Um, I had this really interesting spiritual experience. Um, I would argue probably the most important spiritual experience of 2022 so far for me. Um, one of them, one of them. I've had a couple, but this one it was recent and prolific in, in that regard. Uh, and, and the message of the thing is um, whenever I see an increase in capital, God's got to get a piece. And I'm not talking about tithing like in the arbitrary notion of like, writing the check to make sure that I get the country club pass so I can go hang out with my friends at the cool club. You know, that's not what I'm talking about. Yeah. What I'm talking about is like when I get an increase, I need to make sure that I'm not taking first that I'm giving first because that's what got me there. And the reason I bring this up is because, um, when, when I don't do that, when I don't get an increase and give some, God comes looking for it in ways that are more uncomfortable. Um, I've noticed that too. Like I try to be a little more generous, you know, like I can share a bit of what I have Mm -hmm. um, in regards of like, you know, being accommodating for other people and, you know, like, but even just buying someone lunch sometimes, you know, and being okay with the fact that it all comes back to you. That's the other thing that you have to really keep in mind. It's a feedback. So I, I was finishing work the other night. It was like 1230 at night. And this guy said to me, we were outside and I, okay. So I should preface this by saying I was in kind of a hypnagogic state when I first woke up that morning, I checked my bank account, saw my check cleared. I was like, yes, like all my stuff, you know, got all my bills paid first thing in the morning, you know, and then I was just, the first thing I did was pay my bills. And then I started thinking about like what I wanted to do through the weekend, right? This is kind of what I was thinking like with my finances, got all my ducks in a row, you know, um, in the back of my mind, I had this unconscious thought that was like, you have to give something, something. Now, there wasn't a number, but there was an intention. And I basically looked at it as close as I could in my unconscious mind and walked away from it. So mm. in that same day, we get to 12.30 at night and I'm getting ready to finish up work and there's a guy outside of the gas station that I went ran to get a drink from and he goes, hey, I'm from out of town. My van got stolen at the hotel I was staying at this morning. I need some money to get by through like this weekend. Is there any way you can give me yeah. 40 bucks? 40 bucks he asks for, you know? Yeah. And I, so my first thing, if somebody asks me for money, I always say yes, if I have it. Right. And that's not anything. That's not the right thing. It's not the wrong thing. That's not anything. Yeah. Um, mostly because every time I have needed that, it has been there for me. Yeah. And I truly understand now that if I am aware of that, then I damn well better do that when the opportunity is presented to me. Again, this is the notion of God that I see. That to me is God is like, I heard the call and I came because somebody did that for me. And so this guy asks me for that money, right? Now I go inside to use the ATM and the sob story that he had just told me, I hear another kid in the gas station saying, and so I'm hearing a trick between the two and I'm getting mad. I'm like, I'm seriously getting played by my emotions right now. And I'm at the ATM and I get the money. And I, this is when I'm saying that God asks for in ways that are uncomfortable because 
I immediately there realized that I couldn't make any assumptions about any of this yeah. and that I still had to do it. And so I did it and I'm like, no, hold on. So they probably, you know, you never know. They that's could still, exactly, they could still need the money for something else. That's exactly what I thought. Even to live, um, you know, maybe that's how they're paying. Maybe he's unemployed and that's mm-hmm. how they're paying their for meals mm-hmm. during the week while they can. And they just, maybe they know a sob story might yield a higher amount, mm-hmm. but whatever the lie is or isn't, isn't on you. That's, that's on them their... and God. Yeah. yeah. This is between me and God. Right. Yeah. And, um, that's the thing that I had to come to terms with because I left it and I almost felt like I got taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. And that I think is the point of the whole thing is that I did maybe not so much get taken advantage of, but again, uncomfortable. Yeah. And I'm not saying it wouldn't have happened had I had done something when I first got the money. But that's something that I, uh, coming back to the idea of like the nostalgia of spirituality from childhood, that is a lesson that is like rang true this week of like, um, greed is counterproductive to progress. Uh, so like in a new thought sense in like, uh, like maybe a think and grow rich kind of sense, there's something that happens to your psychology when you think I can afford this, even if they are playing me. Like, I can afford to give this away, and my lifestyle's not going to change. I'm not going to hurt. Like, if I need to buy something in an emergency tomorrow, I can still do it. Um, so in a way, that sort of gives yourself permission to have that, to generate the feeling of, like, having an adequate amount of money. And that, in turn, probably generates actions and maybe some kind of butterfly effect that brings you more abundance exactly it's it's a feeling and an attitude of abundance and that's totally i think what tithing's for my like i have a similar example it's not as um maybe virtuous i guess um but like i'll occasionally order like doordash or like uber eats or something and like it'll leave it'll have the icon on like the higher tip and i know like Uber Eats is like ripping me off and like there's like five hidden fees and whatever but like the thought that I see when I look at that this is sort of like breaking out of an old thought pattern is I can afford to give like an extra dollar in this transaction and I'm not gonna hurt like why would I fret over like 18% versus like a 20% tip you know what I mean like yeah. it's, it's getting out of that really rigid uh, relationship with money yep. in a way that sort of also keeps you in a holding pattern. If you have the choice between more or less and your cup is already full, yeah. you should always choose like, more. If you can realistically you say, will I hurt if I give just a little bit more? And if you if the answer is no, try doing it. The windows of heaven, I mean, whether or not you believe in God, I'm talking from like a metaphoric perspective. Like, yeah. Paradise, the idea of paradise makes itself more apparent to you when you present yourself to it with honesty. And by that I mean like truly giving back like that and, and, uh, you know, it's not always easy. And I'm not trying to pat myself on the back either because I've, I've, again, I've looked at this kind of thing before and walked the other way. And uh, I always end up kind of getting like, I always end up getting punished almost like Roald Dahl-esque. 
Yeah. That, like, it feels like... Because you feel like you should have done it, mm-hmm. and you didn't. And so then now I'm, like, and at the chocolate factory, and there's oompa-loompas around me, and I fucked up, and my hands are stuck in some fucking peanut brittle machine. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're getting like, sucked up Yeah, I'm like, too. of course I am. Like, I, I misbehaved, you know? Yeah. And any... <laughs> anyway, fucking... Um, it could be like some kind of unconscious, like self sabotage almost. Because you, you felt like you should have done it. Maybe there's some kind of level of guilt, and that's well, going to come out in another way. This, and it might not be. The question that you can also yeah. ask that I've contemplated before is what if the notion of free will is at best arbitrary and that that thing is going to come to pass no matter how I want it to? Um, and that I can basically pick my poison and yeah. go like the path of least resistance or most resistance and it's going to happen no matter what yeah. and I just picked the most difficult setting to interface with that yeah. That I think that, that's what happened that to could, me I, and I also think that's what happened to um, you yep probably and and maybe that's the lesson or, or what if the lesson is that sometimes I need the hard thing to really yeah. understand the principle of it. Yeah. You know? That's why if I'm asked if I could go back with the knowledge I have now, I always say no. No. Because I wouldn't have the beautiful things in my life that I do now without those experiences. If I chose to go back, I would lose them. It's also uh, suggesting time is exclusively linear, which is kind of like self-serving. Yeah. It's like if I could go back in time, well, I'm there right now. Yeah. I'm there right now. It's not a healthy way to think. I think it keeps like it's like kind of a regretful mindset. Yeah. If you um, if you had the answers to the test, would you take it over again so you could pass? Fucking yeah. yeah. Well, like no. What I'm saying is like by principle, like you're like sure I would, right? But that's oh, not like right, right, right. thing that happens. It's not. That's not. No, how life it works. is too complex. Yeah. No, life is like our like. There is no manual for right. like a perfect life. Right. Then there shouldn't be. Right. Um. So I wanted to, so one thing that I've been doing lately, um, as I'll say a lot of like personal prayers in like a Mormon style format, you know, like sort of what you see on uh, Under the Banner of Heaven, which is a pretty excellent watch in my opinion, if you haven't seen it. Um, But you know, it, it gives me that, I think there's something magical in using, utilizing like a childhood nostalgia of like whatever religion you were raised in, you know, given that you weren't too traumatized by it. Um, cause like when I was a kid, I had that feeling of comfort and, you know, like, you know, there's something outside of me that's helping. And then I lost that for a really long time. And then sort of going back to that feeling of that prayer modality has like sort of put me back into like, things are going to be okay. Kind of a mindset. Like I don't believe in mainstream Mormonism, but I think spiritual practices from any religion are can be helpful. I, I I really do believe that the way to enlightenment is through the mother. Um, I'm not the one that said that. I, I learned that by listening to the Dalai Lama. Um, the maternal notion of the comprehension of the world is divine, and uh, whoever that whoever the mother is for you and you know every everyone has yeah. not including has, like adoptive mothers yes including not, whoever gave you that motherly love as a child exactly whether it was your biological mother or a mother. lot of people get it mixed and think yeah. that the, they what they need is like the um aquarian mother which is like cerebral and exclusively uh intelligent yeah. and um very mental yes very and, and pragmatic nature oriented but what I'm talking about is through the path of the heart 
And that is the mother that is like unconditionally loving. Everyone has that. Otherwise you wouldn't be human in any capacity. And that when you really dig deep into who that is for you and how they taught you, uh, I, I have seen major benefits to that. And what you just said, unless it's traumatizing, I agree with you. Yeah. Uh, to an extent, the other offer I would give there is if it is traumatizing, that might be where the work is. Um, yeah. And look, I'm not like a you, you need a professional to yeah. like suggest that. This is my personal experience, you know. Um, Same. I, I think the only way out is in, unfortunately, and so you have to go where you came from to get out of it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like walking out of a dark cave. Um, and uh, you have to let that inner child know that you're okay now. Well, and the other thing that is you're okay, safe now. If you can th- now, <laughs> this is really where you Easier can understand a path of healing is if you can one recognize that you were hurt, two be hurt, three seek through conscious effort to alleviate that hurt, four move past it, and then five be grateful for the thing that hurt you. If you can do all of those things and let them all interplay, the yeah. perspective that you get from it is is this process takes months to years. Oh yeah, um, and I don't think it's an arrival. I don't know if there's like an read, there might uh, be an initial arrival. Read the body keeps the score. Oh yeah. Um, for more, we should do. We need to do a like a whole episode yeah. series on that or something. Oh yeah. One day, but um. um no, I, I, cause like trauma healing is the quickest way to let you out of your, whatever repetitive patterns are happening in your life mm-hmm. that are keeping you in a feeling of being stuck. Mm-hmm. Trauma healing, the more I live, the more I believe that is possibly the only way out. Hey, um, on the topic of addiction from earlier too, uh, as a recovered addict, I will say, uh, addiction always has a root in some sort of it's an it's emotional all addiction has an emotional it does have a physical property to it a lot of the time science wants to treat that and science is great at treating the physical symptoms of addiction right yeah but the the spiritual is deeper it's like deep 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 it's like part of you that's (laughs) how that's how people get addicted to anything that doesn't develop a physical dependence yeah watching tv yeah you know Absolutely. Absolutely. Exercising. Unhealthfully. Oh, yeah. Well, and I'm destroying their body. I I would even make it exercise. exercise, The exercise addiction um, does have a chemical reward to it, which makes it um, very dangerous. Yeah. Same with food. Food is a very, very um, psychedelic experience. Mm -hmm. Um, Just because of all of the chemicals that are released in your brain, letting you know that you're like satiating your needs Mm -hmm. and you're like receiving nutrients, like your your brain is going, like, yes, I need this, you know? So. A lot of that comfort eating is like the brain just like having this old, old yeah. ha- habit of patterns of that can really sabotage it. If you look at it like symbolically, eating, like an addiction to eating is trying to fill a hole or a gap that's not being filled. Yeah. And the food is sort of a placeholder, but it will never fill whatever needs to be filled. It's, it's like filling a sinkhole that needs to be filled with that needs to be like barred shut yep. with concrete that you can only give through probably trauma healing yep. on some level. Yeah. Or, and I mean, I, to, to me, like a lot of the time that I've had something from the past that like ate me up or something, you know, um, 
I, I feel like you always know deep down what it is. Um, but it's there somewhere. Yes. Um, yeah. but you just haven't uncovered it yet. Mm-hmm. And, uh, look, this process is harder than it is easy, right? It's like miserable. Oh, yeah. it's, I think it's the hardest thing anybody could do. Yeah. Yeah. In their life. Well, and going back to the idea of like the divine mother, um, I was thinking about like what the ultimate goal of the parent is. And I don't think the goal of the parent is to create a child that interfaces with the community, um, successfully. Um, I, I think that that can be a portion of it. I think the ultimate goal of the parent is to teach a child how to fail and do it again. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, yeah. and, but now this is where the role of the parent transcends space and time is, um, like the Jiminy Cricket conscience is like a, the metaphor of the, parent, the parental discretion, right? Um, because when the parent is gone, I had this saw the other night, I had something that presented itself to me and I had to make it a, a, an adult decision almost instantly. And, uh, I made it and I was like, I really want to call my mom and just say thank you because in I heard the answer to this question in my mother's voice, you know, mm-hmm. and I realized that calling her to tell her that would defeat the purpose of it mm-hmm. because the point of what my mother taught me was that when she's no longer there, that she, she always will be. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, um, excuse me. You're good. It's okay. There's just, <clears throat> yeah, there's something profound to, um, making major mistakes mm-hmm. and being aware that you made them. Yeah. And then having to make conscious decisions on how to reconcile those things. And I think that that initial or inherently is just what life is. Yes. Um, and it's okay to feel the guilt, the shame, the resentment. Yes. Because you have to feel them. You have to feel them. I was going to say, as a matter of fact, then it's pick kind yourself of a privilege. It's kind then, of a privilege to feel all of those things. Yeah. And then work on them as you can, the best you can. Like one of my items on my it works list we'll have to go i forgot if we did that but we'll have to go over that one day there's a new thought book called it works and it really does Hmm. but um one is just it's like a list kind of like affirmations but it's more like a grocery list it's not affirming that i am or i have or whatever it's just a list of things that you would like but one of them is um number one it's recognizing when things truly weren't my fault and I was just caught up in a situation, maybe I was at the wrong place, wrong time, while simultaneously taking responsibility for and actions on the things in my control, which include where I may have wronged wronged somebody else to the degree that I can, I guess, that I have the capacity to. So it alleviates, because there are, I believe, uh, at least modern mainstream Christianities main method of control is through guilt and shame, especially sexual shame. And so it's actively realizing that some of those guilts are false premises and false beliefs given to you by someone else. Probably if you're raised in a repressive religion is the best example. While simultaneously recognizing that some of my behavior 
as a result of some of that guilt and shame was like self-sabotaging and also was toxic to others. And regardless of shame, I shouldn't have behaved in a certain way. And that's not a good excuse for it. Yeah. So it's, it's alleviating the guilt that shouldn't be yours while taking ownership of the guilt that maybe should be yours, but you shouldn't feel guilty forever. Like if you're a growing human being, um, and you're getting better and better, the forever guilt, shame feeling will keep you stuck for a very long time. Okay, and if you're feeling that too, if there's like a mile marker event in your life that you feel that from and you've like worked through it and you've like explored what that was and you've like come to peace with that and fixed it, you know, um, you should be looking for where that feeling has presented itself since that event in other ways in your life. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because that might be what the unconscious mind is trying to ask of you mm-hmm. is, hey, we repeated this. I'm trying to like hint, hint, yeah. you know, this is a trend that has occurred here, 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 and here, you know? Yeah. So yeah, no, I, that's, that's a really good point. I have, uh, two like character defects that I like, I, I, and, and the thing about character defects is I think, uh, they're unavoidable. Mm-hmm. I think that they are a God given or like received through the universe or at what well, how will you they're your and, burden yes and and you don't get yeah. rid of them you get better at managing them yeah anyway the reason i bring it up is one in particular um i see happen cyclically to me and i'm like <laughs> damn like there's times where i'll just get really in my own head about it i'll be like i've learned nothing <laughs> but what's interesting is when i look Let at it own. from the perspective if i zoom out and look at like the trend of when i've done it and, and how it's changed over the last 28 years i'm like Oh, I, I am getting better, I, significantly better, even over the last five years, right? But the thing is, is in my heart, I know that there's more room to give. Mm-hmm. And that's a, what a good problem. Like, what a good problem, you know? Yeah. Well. How you feeling? I'm feeling really good. You feeling, <laughs> you feeling like this is the end? I think we're landing the plane, yeah. Okay. That's pretty healthy. Yeah, that was good. Um... You know, sorry for our extended absence. Um, Life happens. We both had a lot of shit to go through, and maybe we'll get into it later. Yeah. Um, hopefully, we'll do a couple more frequently. Um, I do want to say that I'm thinking of, and I don't know when this would happen, but potentially doing kind of a solo podcast. This would be more like informational. Cool. As far as. Um, it would be just me going through a bunch of uh, just a wide range of like self-help and spirituality paranormal but it would be like very informational it wouldn't be as like conversational um let me know if that would be something you would like on our socials or anything um and it's not it's not a hard announcement i'm still like if it happens it wouldn't be for a while but I kind of want to like put it out there because it's been something I've been thinking about for a while. Um, but yeah, I know we were gone for a while, so obviously no <laughs> obligation or pressure, but if you want to give a little bit to us and that'll help us kind of keep going with it. Um, if you go on the link tree slash fake magic and that's uh, L I N K T R dot 
t or dot e e forward slash fake magic and that's m a g i c k at the end. Um, there's links to donate or there's a link for Patreon. Um, and oh, I want to give a shout out to our mutual friend Alex. Um, thank you for your support. Yeah, uh, thank you, thank you. Move to Salt Lake, and we can have you on here. Yeah, we're going to Salt Lake. We should just call him or something. That'd be, that'd fun. be fun too. That'd be a fun. Thing. Salt Lake. Um, yeah, Instagram fake magic pod, and that's magic with the CK. Twitter at fake magic. Um, I'll see if we reactivate the socials. I've been off of them. Cool. Um, yeah, that should be it. Okay. Goodbye. Bye-bye.